1: This is the Sooner Nation podcast. He's Rich. I'm Matt, and uh, a lot to go over. Oklahoma wins the Cotton Bowl 55 to 20 over the Florida Gators B team, and basically what was an intramural flag football game, according to Florida head coach Dan Mullen. We're going to give you our thoughts on that because we haven't been able to get together since that game and kind of go over that. So we've got some thoughts for you on that. Also, players leaving. By virtue of the NFL, uh, so by um, by Transfer Portal, and Rich has got some true or false questions. Big 12, only only Power 5 program to go undefeated in bowl games. Where would Oklahoma be starting 2021? Where, where are they going to be in the top 25 rankings? We have some thoughts on that, and uh, Rich owes me an apology for Mo Gibson. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Okay, Rich, so let's start with the Cotton Bowl. Big win for Oklahoma. You and I, I don't, I can't even exactly remember what your score prediction was. I think I had about a, a seven-point game somewhere around there. Um, I, never, in my wildest dreams did I expect a fifty-five to twenty thrashing. And really, it wasn't even as close as fifty-five to twenty. When you look at the records Oklahoma set in this game. I'll let you pick program record for 55 points scored in a bowl game, a cotton bowl record for a total number of rushing yards uh, at the cotton bowl. So many other things that happened at the end of the day, it was Oklahoma with um, just an asinine 684 total yards of offense. And I mean, it's two different teams out there and and with all due respect to, to the Florida Gators and, and their excuse train, I feel like that's where we need to start when we're dissecting this game, because it's it, the the very first thing, it, it, and it's the joke. It's the ongoing joke. The SEC has never lost a bowl game that it cared about, right? That that's what everyone's saying. that That's the joke. That's what's going on. And 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 you you didn't hear anything about missing players on defense. You knew about four missing receivers. I knew about four missing receivers. Everybody else knew about four missing receivers. But there's not a single one of those missing receivers that would have prevented Ramondre Stevenson from averaging over 10 yards of carry on this Florida defense. And to me, that right there, we, we can get into Kyle Trask interceptions because I don't believe the the interceptions are on the receivers. They're on Kyle Trask. But the fact that Ramondre Stevenson in this game carried the ball 18 times for 186 yards That right there, as a team, the Sooners averaged 10.9 yards per carry. You know what Seth McGowan averaged yards per carry? I don't,
0: but I do know he broke off that exceptionally long run of 73 yards. Yeah, that
1: was his only carry of the night. So Seth McGowan averaged but But look look at this. Ramondre Stevenson, 10.3 yards per carry. Marcus Major, who I'm pretty confident we haven't seen Marcus Major since the Texas game. 110 yards on nine carries. If you just want to take this little portion of what we're talking about, if you just take that right there, what that tells you is Oklahoma was going to win this game. You give Florida all four receivers, Oklahoma's winning this game. And are we going to pretend, Are we? I mean, are we really going to do this? We're going to pretend like this Florida defense hasn't been terrible all season long? Are we going to pretend like Florida didn't lose three games in a row? Are we going to pretend like LSU didn't beat Florida two games before they played Oklahoma? Because that's what the SEC wants you to pretend like. Go back through and you look at the highlights. And don't worry about what's happening on the field, Okay. Look at what's happening to the Florida fans up in the stands. You see surrender Cobra after surrender Cobra. You see looks of, of shock and disgust. Go back to Trey Norwood's interception. Watch the fans as he runs that in for a touchdown. That is not a fan base that showed up in Arlington, Texas, expecting to see Florida get routed. So all these post-game excuses, to me, none of them hold water. Not a single one of them. I'm done. <laughs>
0: Here's here's where I'm at when it comes to Florida Matt as I do feel as though this was a team that that plateaued maybe 4 weeks before the end of the season for them and that was heading into the SEC Championship game against Alabama. I went ahead I just pulled up their score 63 points against Arkansas and then they never eclipse they never they never get more than than 37 until they play Alabama 46 in that SEC championship game. So like I said, I, I felt like they were starting to plateau offensively. Defensively, you've mentioned it. I've piggybacked it and saying that it wasn't a good defensive team. But here's where my biggest issue comes from with the Dan Mullen excuses. First off, I, I saw this quote and I thought it was phenomenal. It was Dan Mullen's never seen a uh, an excuse that he didn't like. Right. What we're getting is that version of Dan Mullen at this point in time. But when it comes to the defense, it, who who
1: was who was the one that was speaking all? The, oh, for sure, making no, all the noise, right? It no, wasn't Oklahoma. Oklahoma's offense. a good matchup, but they're not. They're not the SEC. They're, they're not. not the Florida, on our they're level. not on our level, right?
0: And so, when it comes to the defensive performance and what Oklahoma was capable of doing on the ground specifically, I just felt like this was a defense that. One was hyped up Mm -hmm. and was touted as being better than they actually were, which I know that we spoke about in our preview for that game. But more importantly, it was a defense that after they got beat, they broke. This was not a bend, don't break defense. It was a defense that was already bending and Oklahoma simply broke it.
1: Right. Well, and again, to go back to Oklahoma's run game, against this Florida defense. That's that's the one thing you and I said. Oklahoma has to run the football. If Oklahoma runs the ball successfully, Florida doesn't stand a chance. That was basically what we said going into this game. And I don't care how many players you give Florida, how many players you take away Florida. It wasn't going to stop what Ramondre and Seth McGowan and Marcus Major. I mean, Mikey Henderson only carried the ball one time and he went 18 yards. But Seth, Seth I mean, Seth McGowan... You mentioned a seventy-three yard run, but go back to Ramondre Stevenson, the, the touchdown, uh, the third quarter, I believe it was, where he basically he, bit, he did the CeeDee Lamb, what CD Lamb did to the Texas Longhorns in 2019, Ramondre Stevenson did to the Florida defense in 2020, where everyone had a shot at him, and he would just stop and step over and move and overpower and whatever. This is not a game; Florida was going to win. I do want to, I do want to give some credit to Oklahoma's defense. What you think is what you were doing there as well. But um, the three interceptions by Kyle Trask, let, let's go for them. The first one that Trey Norwood returns for a touchdown. That's a bad pass. That's not on the receiver. Right. That's a bad pass. Second one, guess what? It's a bad pass. I believe the second one was Woody Washington. It's a, it's a bad pass. The third one, Brian Asamoah. Nick Benito gets there and and he actually hits Trask as Trask is throwing. So there's not a single one. Two of them are bad passes. One of them is Nick Benito getting there as Trask is throwing. There's not a single one of those interceptions that you can go back and say, well, if we would have had Kyle Pitts, if we would have had this guy, if we would have had that guy, then Trask doesn't throw that interception. You know what? He does. He does throw every single one of those interceptions because not a single one of them was on the receiver. Two of them were on bad decisions by Kyle Trask. And the third one was a great defensive play by Nick Benito. And then a really good interception by Asamoah. All that said, if they want to make the excuse, well, Kyle Trask didn't have time with these new receivers. Okay, then he doesn't deserve to be a Heisman finalist. If he can't go out there, Spencer Rattler, 14 to 23, 247 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's not a Heisman finalist. The Heisman finalist was 16 of 28 for 158 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. I'm sorry. If you can't go out there and throw to guys without having practice with them beforehand, there's two problems with that. Number one, you don't deserve to be a Heisman finalist. And number two, you got a really bad coaching staff. Can I make... Well, let me just say this, but then you can do whatever you want to. I, I promise you, there's not a receiver on this Oklahoma roster who hasn't caught a pass from Spencer Rattler in practice. If you've got receivers on your team that aren't catching passes from your starting quarterback in practice, you're doing a terrible job at practicing. That's what it comes down to. You're doing a terrible job at practicing if you're not preparing those guys. Look at look at what Mac Brown did with North Carolina. All the offensive players, both of their running backs were out and they went toe-to-toe with Texas A&M. Did you hear any, hear any excuses from Mac Brown after that game? No. <laughs> what you heard Mac Brown say was, you know what? We just prepare our guys. It could be your turn anytime, any day. Someone could get hurt, something could happen and you could be called up on any day. Clearly Dan Mullen's not doing that. Maybe the powers that be in Florida need to wonder why Florida's been dormant for a decade. Anyway, go ahead.
0: I wanted to make a random statement when it came to the quarterback conversation for Florida because everyone immediately wanted to talk about the performance from Kyle Trask. And I know that there was a lot of follow-up conversation that says Trask did not hurt his NFL draft stock, period, by one game. I I believe that to be true. I agree. Players can play a bad game. It doesn't speak for the volume of their career and what they were able to accomplish, whether that was high school, college, or into the pros. But when we put people to the eye test, there's a very limited sample for me when it comes to Florida and their quarterbacks, obviously because Kyle Trask was tasked with the this idea of we're going to throw the ball and we don't care if we run it or not. Mm-hmm. but I will say this when Anthony Richardson stepped in the game, it felt like a different Florida team. He only threw one pass. I get it. It was a touchdown, but this is a kid who ran the ball with tenacity. A guy who is built like a gigantic running back. Right. And is clearly not afraid to take a hit by what we witnessed of the three quarterbacks that were on that roster. Just from what I seen, I think Anthony Richardson would scare me the most. But again, it's a very limited sample size yeah, I for mean, us as Oklahoma fans. And I know it became the talk for Florida moving forward as Kyle Trask is is expected to enter the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. And then Richardson is is gonna battle it out with the other quarterback Henry who's Jones. there, Jones. Uh huh. Yeah.
1: And it's gonna be a fun I'm I i do not care. I mean, it's it's gonna be a fun battle if you're a Gators fan. I'm not a Gators fan. I don't care about the Gators. I don't expect to see the Gators in the top five next year. I really don't. Um I don't see how they're going to get better defensively with the personnel that they have. I don't see how they're going to get better with team chemistry. with the co- Let's not forget also, Dan Mullen's, do you remember what Dan Mullen's excuse was for losing at Texas A&M? No. They, they had more than 20,000 fans. Googleable information. Go Google it. Dan Mullen said the reason they lost at Kyle Field was because Texas A&M allowed, allowed more than 20,000 fans in the stadium. That is legitimately what Dan Mullen said after that game. So as long as you've got a coach who just never takes credit for for losing, but always wants credit for winning, and as long as you've got a, clearly a lack of development of younger players with your older players, if that, if all that's true, I don't expect to see Florida in the top five next year. Right. Now, as far as Kyle Trask goes, one thing I would be concerned about as far as the NFL goes, you you remember when we talked about this when we are previewing the Cotton Bowl, was that, what what Alex Grinch wants to do is really kind of confuse him, throw some sets and some things at him that make him think. Now, my thought was it makes him think and hold the ball longer so Oklahoma's defenders can get to him. But the reality is it confused him, and he just threw the ball anyway. You know what I'm saying? That's why right. he got two bad passes. And, I mean, he's confused, but there's supposed to be a guy there, right. and so I'm going to throw it.
0: Now, I, I know where you're going with this conversation. I know what your point is about to be. At least I believe I know what your point is about to be. And the reality for me, Matt, is I get that when you begin evaluating Trask, that's something that you you have to consider.
1: If I'm an NFL exec, I'm looking at this tape, and I want to I talk to him in the combine, and I want to have chalkboard talk with him. But ultimately, Trask is shaping up to be the sixth quarterback taken
0: off of the board in this NFL draft. This this is going to be a loaded NFL draft for quarterbacks.
1: I agree. Let's be honest. I agree. But I mean, I'm as far as where he goes and how much money he makes initially, it's going to, it's it's going to depend on how he answers those questions at the chalkboard. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, they're going to put him in front of a chalkboard and they're going to, Give him a defensive set, and they're going to say, "What do you see? Where should your hot read be?" Because where his hot read, where he thought his hot read was, should have been in that Cotton Bowl, was clearly not mm-hmm. where the hot read was supposed to and, be.
0: And by stark contrast, that's what Mac Jones has been so good at. Right. At right. Alabama is identifying that in that hot read, and it's why his his percentage, his completion completion percentage, is pacing the NCAA this year.
1: Yep. Okay. So we're going to give some offensive and defensive players of the game for Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. Then we're going to jump into players who are leaving the program, players who are staying in the program. Richard's going to ask two or false questions. Thanks for tuning in.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore dealmaking across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is and not as job. simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
0: want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so
1: many more doors. You know, the show
0: is called The, the deal.
1: deal.
0: Listen to The Deal.
1: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So offensively, I've, I really was impressed with how Oklahoma ran the ball. That I, I expected them to try to run the ball, to try to set up the run. I didn't expect them to have the level of success that they did have. And because of that, for my offensive player of the game, I don't see how he can go any other direction than Ramondre Stevenson. I know that he was given the award after the Cotton Bowl for offensive player of the game. I think they hit the nail in the head, man. I I got no no qualms.
0: Yeah, and I completely agree with it. Oklahoma clearly said this is what we're going to do. This is our identity in this game, and we are going to run with that. No pun intended by that. What I was shocked about, even though I'm going to give Ramondre Stevenson, the offensive player of the game, award myself, what I was shocked about was – he didn't really appear in, in the receiving game like we had expected him to. Mm. And when we were... Neither neither did the H-backs though. Right. And I'm saying when we were prepping this game, a lot of those comparisons right. that we right. were drawing came from what, what Najee Harris was doing mm-hmm. on the field and how he was basically equal parts involved in the receiving game as well as as running the ball. Ramondre Stevenson has that ability as a bigger back. He has that ability to basically be in for every single snap it just didn't happen, I think, the way I anticipated it to happen. But you can't deny the impact, the 186 yards on 18 carries. Even though it's just one score, you can't deny the impact that he had on the game.
1: Yeah, it was just straight smash mouth. We thought they would, hey, we're, they're going to get cute with how we use the H-backs. We're going to you know, throw the ball to Ronnie Perkins coming out of the backfield. It was just, try to stop it. Hey, well, speaking
0: of receivers and, and available receivers and not using the H backs.
1: Were you surprised to see Austin Stogner in this game? Absolutely. I was because you know what I've said all along that I, I thought he would be out for the remainder of the season. And so, um, yeah, a hundred percent. I was, I was surprised. He even got one pass for 12 yards. So, um, g- good, good for Austin. I, you and I had talked off recording off air, how much I knew about his injury and I I knew it was more severe than just what he experienced in the game. And I knew that there was a setback in rehab, which is why I was saying he wouldn't be back this season, but happy for him. happy that he was able to come back and, and looking forward to, you know, a a good rebound for him in 2021 after missing a good portion of 2020 with that injury. But yeah, I was surprised by seeing him. I wouldn't, I I wouldn't, stick with our players of the game here because I'm not for sure that you can go and go away from the guy who scored a defensive touchdown, right? (laughs) I mean, we, we picked Trey Norwood as a guy to watch in this game We've talked about him and, and just the impact he's made since that Texas Tech game where he was inserted. Woody Washington was a guy that you mentioned. He did have one pass defense. He had four tackles. Pat Fields led the team with seven tackles. All of them were solo tackles. There was no shared tackles with Pat Fields. But, um, you know, I talked about Nick, Nick Benito and getting in there and really disrupting some things. Ronnie Perkins had a, sack, a tackle for loss. But, man, Trey Norwood with the pick six, that set. The, I mean, that set the tone. Mm-hmm. You know, Oklahoma goes down and scores on their opening drive, and then the next thing you know, Trey Norwood's running the other way with the ball on Florida's opening possession. And it was kind of the route was on from there. And when, when you look at the stat sheet and you, you find the defensive stats, not a lot there for Trey Norwood. Two total tackles, but the pick six, it was a game-changer, literally a game-changer. And so, I don't, again, I don't think you can go another direction. And obviously, all eyes,
0: Matt, were going to be towards one side of the field because we knew Trey Brown had opted out of the game in order to prepare for the NFL draft, which he had declared for previously prior to that game. When we were looking at replacements, DJ Graham's name was thrown out. Woody Washington was a second name that was thrown out. And, of course, Trey Norwood was going to have to provide quite a bit of help on that side of the field. If if Florida was going to do what we were expecting them to do, which was throw the ball consistently, you see just how big each of these individuals come up, specifically Woody Washington. And as you've already mentioned, Trey Norwood with the interceptions, the linebacker Brian Azamoa getting in there as well with that third interception. It's easy to target those guys. It's easy to see how well this unit worked cohesively together. There weren't any weak points, and I I do believe a lot of that is because of that experience that Trey Norwood has in this system because of the leadership that he has, but more importantly, it's because of those instincts. Mm -hmm. The score undoubtedly sets him apart from everyone. It is hard to to pick anyone else, but I did want to mention one thing because you and I have talked, I feel like, pretty extensively about the play at the safety position. We're seeing Patrick Fields... Really take this step forward. He's he, last year, I thought he was okay. I wouldn't say that he was great, I wouldn't put him on the best defenders, the best safeties that Oklahoma's ever had, but he's slowly inching his way up that list. And this was really that culmination of the season for me, for him, because he secured his first interception of the year. He's a junior. He does have that experience. He led the team with seven tackles, all of which were solo, by the way, no help on a single one of those. And so again, you're seeing this growth. You're seeing this him understanding what's being asked of him more and more. And I think it's setting Oklahoma up in 2021 to be very successful in the secondary, despite the loss of a guy like Norwood and despite the loss of a guy like Brown.
1: Right. Um he's and he's going to be a guy that that is going to need from that upper upper class type mentality leadership with younger cuz you know there's going to be younger guys who get a shot in 2021. And that's that's going to be something I am really curious to see what they do with Brendan radley Hiles in 2021. I I really want to because Trey Norwood changed we we talk about the impact that Ronnie Perkins had when he came back, right? And we talk about the impact that Ramondre Stevenson had when he came back. But let's not forget that the Texas Tech game was also a game that Trey Norwood was inserted and really made a big difference. And so uh, clearly Oklahoma's losing him to the NFL, which means at this point, I mean, at this point, you've got Buki who's back to the starting nickelback. You lose – you lose – Robert Barnes to transfer. So there's no one behind Pat Fields immediately. Bryson Washington is a true freshman behind Pat Fields, but Pat Fields is going to be a senior going into next year. So I don't know that Washington is going to unseat Pat Fields as a sophomore with all the experience that he has, you know, so on one side you've got, uh, you've got Jaden Davis and DJ Graham. On the other side, you got Woody Washington, Josh Eaton. That's going to be fun to watch how all this, all this comes into play. But the one thing I don't know is who's going to compete with Buki at the nickelback position. Because you you can have some fun battles in that defensive secondary based on what we know is there as of right now. I wouldn't expect Pat Fields to declare for the NFL. Clearly wouldn't expect Jaden Davis to declare for the NFL as just a sophomore. There's really no one else there that's going to declare. So between the two corners, the two safeties, and the nickel, you got seven guys that are going to be competing to get on the field in 2021. And you can say on, 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 did I say it's seven, nine. So you got nine guys for eight of those guys. You've got four really good position battles. I believe going through spring and summer. I don't know what's going to happen at the nickel. Is someone else going to be able to come up and push bookie like Trey Norwood did. And speaking of Trey Norwood was that you, you, you think we, we talked about it. Creed Humphrey, stay or go, you know. And, and I, I told you he had a high, a high NFL draft grade. So Creed Humphrey's gone. Adrian Ely, gone. And I, I was, I was, I was a little bit more surprised about uh, about Adrian Ely than I was about Creed Humphrey. We, we knew Trey Brown ahead of time, gone. But Trey Norwood, it's almost like the Trey Brown situation where you've had a great game, a high-profile game, where lots of people were looking in. You made a big play. You made a game-changing play. It's one of those strike-where-the-iron's-hot type situations where you get in and you go. And I don't blame Trey Norwood, but I sure would like to have him back one more year. <laughs> it, it, were you surprised? I mean, what? Tell me about, what, what was your biggest surprise. Yeah, I, I get it from
0: Trey Norwood's perspective. I didn't expect him to enter the NFL draft. If we're talking about him as well as Adrian Ely specifically, I wasn't expecting either of those two names to pop as players who were going to declare for the 2021 NFL draft. But I get it for Norwood. You've mentioned it, the high profile game. We've seen the success that he's had, not just in a singular game though. It was over the second half of the season. Well, he
1: led the big 12 in interceptions. Right. Yeah. And and only
0: playing half a season. Well, starting half a season. Right, right. And so when it comes to Trey Norwood, all of a sudden, you're you're seeing these stats that kind of pop off the charts for you. And you're saying, I can use that to my advantage while there's no guarantee of what would happen next year. I don't know what kind of a draft grade. He would have received back given the limited playing time and given the fact that he's consistently played behind someone else. Even though we we said that Norwood and Trey Brown had extremely high uh-huh. ceilings in this this secondary, in this defense, in this schematic with this program. We knew that there was a lot of potential there where we saw them begin to live up to that. Norwood, like I've mentioned, the stats really speak for themselves. And it's easy to say, let me, let me just go ahead and begin to twist and mold that so I can and make that next step because the dream's of play in the NFL. Right, right. Adrian Ely, on the other hand, was a guy, this offensive line was not great at the beginning of the season. There were some freshmen who I felt like could seriously challenge, not named Anton Harrison, but freshmen who could challenge four spots on this line throughout the year given that week's performance. There was a lot to improve upon, but we knew – Creed Humphrey, everybody believed he was gone after last year. I felt like we got that additional year out of him. And then again, this year, there was some talk about him, but Adrian Ely's not a Creed Humphrey. When I looked at him, I felt as though he would have benefited from an additional year Mm -hmm. at the collegiate level before jumping into the NFL.
1: Well, if you're a guy like Bray Walker, you're pretty excited that Adrian Ealy is leaving for the NFL because Bray's a redshirt sophomore who has a lot of talent out of out of the more public school system. And that he's a guy that's going to benefit from Adrian Ealy leaving early. And other guys to look for on that offensive line, you, you already mentioned Anton Harrison, who has been a backup for Eric Swenson all season long.
0: Andrew Rame's another name I'd throw out there.
1: Andrew Rame and then Chris Murray. Let's not forget about it. Chris Murray coming from UCLA to be a member of this team. I really think right now Ian McIver is the backup center according to the depth chart. He's a redshirt junior. I would expect Chris Murray and Andrew Rain both to get a, at least some reps at trying to replace Creed Humphrey there in the middle mm-hmm. of this offensive line. But it does put a little bit of a a little bit of a uh, of a momentum swing when you think about this offense coming back. You know, you're you're waiting for a decision from J. Stevenson, stay or go. I think that the closer it gets the, excuse me, the further away he gets from that Cotton Bowl without an announcement from Amondre Stevenson, the better that looks for Oklahoma, but you, you're, there are some position battles, particularly with Ely leaving that make you think, okay, I didn't think that we would be breaking down the right tackle position going into spring football. We thought we'd be breaking down the center position for sure, but the right tackle position. Nope. That's not one that we thought about. And, and so that, that's, that's, it's interesting because of the decision where we talk about Trey Norwood going out on a high note, kind of riding the wave. I don't I don't know that Adrian Ealing ha- has a wave other than what Ramon. I mean, the team ran for, you know, a, a, a Cotton Bowl record and a program record. Is that the wave that Adrian Ealing is going to run? Now, he could this guy, six, six, three hundred twenty seven pounds. He can go and really explode at the NFL Combine, and I'm thinking that's what he's banking on. Right, and
0: and the truth is I have to go back to Orlando Brown because I feel as though he broke the mold for the NFL. And he may have just been a one-off guy, but I highly, highly doubt it. If you'll remember, Orlando Brown was a guy who was thought to be a first-round draft pick, then went to the NFL Combine. Didn't do so high. His
1: arms were long, Rich. Tried, the arms
0: were too long. Tried tried to redeem himself at the senior day on campus in Norman and ultimately earned himself a starting role, even though he wasn't that first round right. draft pick and fell considerably lower than what I, as well as many others expected him to be be picked at. But he came back and said one thing. it's It's all about understanding angles mm-hmm. and footwork. And if you can do that, it doesn't matter if you're the strongest guy on the field. You'll instantly create an advantage for yourself. I believe Oklahoma is teaching their players that. And so maybe Adrian Ely goes in and he, I, I don't know that he's going to be a high draft pick, but maybe he earns himself that starting role. And then the paychecks come in after that rookie contract expires. There's that possibility right. for him, and maybe that's what he's banking on. But like I said, I still hold that he would have benefited from an extra year. Matt, I want to throw one one additional question out at you because as we've been talking about this, I know Mike Houck tweeted out that – each of the six rushers in the game against Florida recorded career-long rushing attempts. Mm-hmm. Ramondre Stevenson with 50, Marcus Major of 46, Seth McGowan 73. We won't count Spencer Rattler in that one, just talking about running backs. Mikey Henderson, 18, and, and Hudson with an eight-yard carry. I'm looking at a running back room, this stable of, of running backs as it's come to be known, that's quite full, Pending a Ramondre Stevenson decision. When Kennedy Brooks inserts his name back into this equation, is this a team that keeps every single running back that's on the roster? Or are we going to see a little bit more attrition happen? Or was Lincoln Riley exceptionally smart and said, we're only signing 16 guys this year. So there's plenty of room for everybody to stay.
1: Yeah. I I clearly think that this becomes immediate. If if Ramondre comes back, it's it's Ramondre and Kennedy Brooks. Now that that's one two. I agree. There's no way around that. I but agree, but I, I think there's room for Seth McGowan. I, I do, and we've seen Oklahoma do r- three running backs, but when you have you have you have two star running backs and you have that third guy, right? And so that's where Oklahoma's gonna go. I, I think Ramondre and Kennedy are one and two in whatever order you wanna put him in. And then Seth McGowan, Marcus Major, jump in there at that, for that third guy to change a pace, to kind of give those other guys a blow type situation. Um, look, Marcus Major was impressive in the Cotton Bowl, but it's the best game we've seen from him. Right. There, there's not a lot of film out there on Marcus Major just really wowing you. In fact, there's one game. It's the Cotton Bowl. So there's still a lot of work for him to do. And you got to think, if TJ Pleasure is still on this team, do we even see Marcus Major in that game? So I don't think there's anything to worry about if you're if you're in this running back room as far as if you're Kennedy Brooks or Armandre, you're not looking over your shoulder as losing your spot as a No, no, starting. no. I,
0: I'm not talking about the top two. I'm not talking about one, two. I'm not really even talking about number three yeah. on the depth chart, but I, I'm looking at six guys who carried the ball. And that's including Spencer Rattler, in these numbers, six guys who carried the ball against Florida, but there are Kennedy Brooks, his his name's not on that list. It's going to be six names in that running back room. Oklahoma doesn't have one for the 2020 recruiting class. Yeah. They only picked up one in 2020. Yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I don't want to spoil any of the conversation, Okay. okay. but it just seems as though it's quickly becoming a crowded space. With limited carries.
1: Yeah, I mean Todd Hudson's a true freshman. I'm I'm not worried about Todd Hudson. We know Mikey Henderson's more of an H back guy. We've we've talked about the difference between H back and and running back. So there's no concern there for me whatsoever. You mentioned true or false. We're about to get to that right now.
0: Jumping back into it, Matt. I am putting you in the hot seat, which I know over the course of this year with this segment has become your favorite seat. To sit in. And so without any further ado, I'm going to jump right in with a little bit of recruiting here um, because I know that it's easy for us to look at the past month. Anyone who follows recruiting knows that Oklahoma has been in on some very big names in the recruiting realm that are part of this 2021 class from Emeka Ekbuka, Tristan Lee, Samar Wheaton, as, as well as Bryce Foster. None of those are coming to the University of Oklahoma. And when we begin to look at just the past four weeks and what has transpired, I believe that the average fan immediately begins to get down and begins to think of what this recruiting class could be and what it actually is. But true or false, Matt, it's very easy for us to look at the past four weeks and this trend that's happened and say, Well, I totally forgot we have the number one player in the class in Caleb Williams.
1: No, that's true. Uh, And you go to social media and you realize suddenly there's thousands of people out there who can recruit better than Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. And... Yeah, it's disappointing to lose a Samar Wheaton last minute. It's disappointing to to lose a Tristan Lee last minute. But let's also keep in mind that there's a reason why these guys never committed. And one of the reasons why they never committed was they weren't 100% certain where they were going to go play college football. You look at what the juggernaut that Alabama has been, Alabama is always going to be a major point of competition for any program, much less Oklahoma, but any program when you're going head to head to them with them for a recruit. Um, my understanding with Tristan Lee is, hey, Clemson's, that's a lot closer to home than, than Oklahoma, you know, and, and he having family, I mean, Caleb Williams' family is moving to Norman, all right? I didn't get the sense that Tristan Lee's family is able to pack up and move to Norman and they're not going to move to, to, you know, North Carolina, North Carolina either. But what's going to happen is, sorry, sorry, South Carolina, sorry, Clemson fans, South Carolina. Um, But you're right. you, You get the number one quarterback in, in the country. And and all of a sudden, because you don't get Tristan Lee, because you don't get Samar Wheaton, you hear people say, Well, we can't close out, we can't get these recruits. We nothing's gonna change until we get these recruits. Okay, so let me let me just tell you real fast. Is Cannab Williams not a big recruit? Because I'm pretty sure he signed. Billy Bowman, the number two athlete in the whole twenty twenty one class, was he not a big recruit? because he signed mario williams at one point was the number one wide receiver in this class he ended up as the number four wide receiver on this class who did he sign with oh yeah that's right he signed with oklahoma but what about on the defensive side the ball okay we'll go there clayton smith the number two weak side defensive end in this class he signed with the university of oklahoma Kevin Gilliam, the number six weak side defensive end in this class, he signed with the University of Oklahoma. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Ethan Downs, who was the number one player of the state for most of his career and then got flapped to the number two player in the state of Oklahoma. By the way, he plays defense, the number 10 weak side defensive end. He signed with the University of Oklahoma. This is a very good class that Oklahoma got. And they did close the deal on some very big-time players. And so because you lose Tristan Lee, yes, it becomes disappointing that you lose Tristan Lee. Yes, it becomes disappointing because you lose Samar Wheaton. But let's not lose our heads and 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 just say the the class that's number one in the Big 12 and number 10 nationally, let's just – it's garbage because we didn't get those two guys. We can't recruit. Dude, let's just step back and realize how crazy that sounds. Let's say, instead, let's say, you know what? I'm disappointed Tristan Lee didn't come to Oklahoma. I'm disappointed that Samar Wheaton didn't come to Oklahoma. But it's not like you lost him to East Carolina, right? It's not like you lost him to Texas Tech. You lost them to Alabama and Clemson. You had some you, you were there in the final running with some really good contenders. And Oklahoma hasn't always been able to say that. But they also landed some really, really good talent in this class. Number 10 nationally, according to 24-7 Sports, number one in the Big 12. Yeah, I think it's really easy to overlook how good this class was because we didn't close it out with the last two guys we were going for. I do believe... Sorry, you got me on a soapbox, Rich. Where I'm
0: going with this is something that I've kind of already mentioned. And you've given me a really good segue here because I had just mentioned 16 players have signed for this class. Right. I do believe Lincoln Riley is intentionally keeping those numbers low because everybody has been granted an additional year of eligibility, whereas other programs, and Alabama has been notorious for this. So, the best example that I can give, and then everybody kind of followed suit for what Alabama was doing Alabama will routinely oversign on a class and then figure out a way to make those scholarships work when those players arrive, whether that's through attrition and the transfer portal. However, it happens, Alabama has always figured out a way. Oklahoma is taking a little bit of a different approach and not over-signing on this class, which says a couple of things to me. One, they could be heading towards the transfer portal to look for some, some gap players who can step in and immediately fill a void, or they're confident in the developed talent that they have, and they're confident that that developed talent will return for that additional year. But here's my true or false question coming out of that, Matt. When we look at this 2021 recruiting class, we see the names. We see the top 10 in the nation, the number one in the Big 12. It's time to turn the page.
1: This class is done. True or false? False. This class is not done because I still think they're looking at running backs. And, you know, LJ Johnson's a guy that I've talked about before out of Cypress, Texas. It's interesting with the Texas Longhorns making the coaching change, what that's going to do um, for him because... It, You know, all indicators is between Texas and Texas A&M. But I don't think Oklahoma's out on him just yet. Uh, Jordan Ford is another guy that you're going to want to keep an eye on. You know, I've gone down this list and and I've talked about some of these guys. Um, I I don't think they're finished. I really don't. Um, Now, they may not sign anybody else, but I can tell you they're not finished recruiting people. That's 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 where I am with this. I, I know I do. I can tell you one hundred percent. They're still pursuing a running back, be it the Juco re- level with a guy like Jordan Ford out of Garden City, or be it still going after Johnson on, on, on the or prep level. Texas running back. Now, <laughs> listen. I, okay, I I didn't want to I didn't want to come in. <laughs> I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to jump into this train yet, but you remember what I said a couple weeks ago about I do.
0: LSU. I do, and, and you, that's why I've brought it up You're today.
1: seeing it happen, and there is a big-time – I'm just going to throw it out at this. You can Google his name. You can look up the information. Take the time. But there is a big-time kid who has announced he's leaving, Texas, uh, leaving LSU. He's a tight end, and I, I can tell you this, that he has heard from the University of Oklahoma – and he has not said, I'm not interested. That's all I can know. That's all I know at this point. But you're going to see, I said that that's going to happen with LSU. You're going to see guys transfer out of that program. And I think you're going to start seeing it happen. also, when you look at the Texas recruiting class, those kids signed to play for Tom Herman. Right.
0: So, th- And you have to think some kind of decision will be made to release
1: them from that letter right. of intent. Right. So... I don't think they're finished. All I'm, all I'm getting at is, I think that's false. I don't think this class is finished. Okay.
0: <laughs> My, uh, and I know this is an abrupt change of pace, but I'm going to roll with it anyway. When we look at the, the Cotton Bowl, Matt, mm-hmm. we look at what Oklahoma was capable of doing. We've already talked about the stats offensively. We've talked about what Oklahoma did defensively. So besides the Cotton Bowl win... True or false? The best moment of the Cotton Bowl was Isaiah Thomas's comments. I post, was gonna give post, you an you're option. You talking
1: about, about post game? W-
0: yes, and I was gonna give you the option of it just doesn't work in a true or false format, but of Isaiah Thomas and the comments, or
1: the Malcolm Kelly rap. They were I I for me my top moment, but Isaiah Thomas was funny, and and if you're not if if you're not familiar with it, it's on. It's on Twitter. You can you can find it, but basically Isaiah Thomas verbatim said the same thing about Florida that was that they said about Oklahoma. You know, Florida was a good matchup, but you know they're they're not they're the not Big on twelve. They're, they're not, not on Oklahoma, yeah, exactly. They're not on our level. I and mean, great. I mean, that's funny. And and I I saw it made a lot of Florida people mad. I don't care. Cause you weren't mad when your guy said it, it was, you were like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and then you, you get just ramrodded, you know, you heard stomped. Um, and then you have Isaiah Thomas say that funny moment, but you can't, you can't look at that whole team doing the Malcolm Kelly rap and not just have a giant smile on your face. And Malcolm Kelly, I of all, all the things he did good for the university of Oklahoma as a receiver <laughs> For that to be his ongoing legacy, that all those years later, these guys still know that,
0: that was a viral video,
1: right? But I'm saying, what I'm saying is, how old were these guys right now when Malcolm Kelly did that mm-hmm. rap? Was that was that 2009 that Malcolm Kelly did that rap? I don't. So I, so we're it's going back
0: somewhere in in that range.
1: So we're going back 11 because 2010 was in Nebraska in at. Uh, at Texas Stadium, I'm pretty sure. So I think you have to go back to 2009 when Malcolm Kelly did that rap. So that means these guys, if they're seniors, they're 22. So they were 11. It was 2007. 2007. Whoa, yeah. so even further than that. You know, yeah, so I thought it was back, 2006.
0: You're right. Until you you're said right nine, because it so. was Paul
1: Thompson's. It 2007. Was Paul, yeah, mm-hmm. you're 2009. He was gone. It was Paul Thompson's year when Brett Bowman got kicked off the team. Um, so yeah, so you're going back to 2007. When these kids were, they probably a lot of them probably hadn't even played football yet. And that's thirteen years ago. Right, so that so means some of
0: them are are five years old, and some of them are are probably eight so years old. To, in that range,
1: for them to stand up on stage and in unison wrap that thing, that that okay, was a cool okay. thing. I, I'm gonna and Lincoln pause you. Riley even says he yes. knows verbatim. Yes. yes, so that's where I was. So I was all gonna that, go with that, all what all that means is is that this was not the first time that that has been done with this football team. And I'm sure it's done in the locker room after big games. I'm sure everybody knows about it. But to see them all break out in unison on the stage and do it, you, the, you, that can't, there's no way. I, I love what Isaiah Thomas did. Nice dig, you know, ha I got you back. But that, that unifying moment, it shows the bond that this team has and just how much fun they're having. And you, you want to win games and you want to have fun. I, th- that was the bigger moment for me.
0: Continuing with our theme here, we had said that this game could set Oklahoma up for some pretty big things right. in 2021. And when I'm looking at the landscape of how things are shaping up, here's my expectation. Now, this I don't know about, but this is my expectation Mac Jones to the NFL. Yeah. I'm expecting Ohio State and Justin Fields, NFL.
1: Ohio State's going to the NFL?
0: Yeah, I was going to say the quarterback
1: because I was. uh, Oh, you're blanking on the name there. Sorry.
0: But Justin Fields, and and I'm expecting Trevor Lawrence Mm -hmm. to be in the NFL.
1: And Kyle Trask. That doesn't count here. (laughs) Okay. Oh, and Sam Ellinger. Sam Ellinger is going to the NFL. He announced it today. Of the teams
0: that could legitimately hold top four rankings, oh, that includes Sam Ellinger heading into 2021, only one of those teams, the Oklahoma Sooners, (laughs) surprise, surprise, are going to have a returning starting quarterback. No,
1: you're wrong. Enlighten me. Kellen Mond will be back for Texas A&M. They're not a top 14 team. They will mad. be.
0: They will be. They're not a top 14 team. I I I believe that this year, let me let me backtrace <laughs> a little bit. I do believe that this year Oklahoma may have very well earned that number 4 ranking mm-hmm. in the AP in the final rankings. I I think yes. they can leapfrog Notre Dame and I think they can mm-hmm. leapfrog Texas A&M, given what no, we've they're not seen. Gonna,
1: I don't think they're going to leave for Texas a and I really don't. Here, here's the way I think it's going to shake out. I, I think you're going to have Alabama, Ohio State. One, two. Whoever wins the right, national championship. Whoever, right. Mm-hmm. And then I think you're going to have Texas A&M number three and okay. then Oklahoma number four. Now, don't don't confuse the end of the season poll with the preseason right. poll. Because they're going to be two different things. Oklahoma is going to be one, two, or three to start the 2021 season. But they're probably going to be four to end the 2021 season.
0: Well, here's where I'm going, true or false wise. I mean, thanks for kind of like ruining my question <laughs> I guess it doesn't apply <laughs> anymore. But when we look at what Oklahoma was capable of doing, what we believe is setting them up for a good 2021 season, hands down, no questions asked, true or false, Spencer Rattler will be the odds on favorite to win the Heisman.
1: Mm. Mm,
0: I'm man. not saying he'll win it.
1: But, but you're in saying the preseason, this he season, will be the
0: odds-on favorite.
1: I, I just look. I, I think he'll be one of the talked-about guys. If Ramondre Stevenson comes back, he's going to be a talked-about guy in the Heisman. Um, Kellen Mond's going to be a talked-about guy in the Heisman. Spiller from from Texas A&M. I mean, I, I, this is setting up. Everyone talks about Oklahoma and A&M dodging each other at the Cotton Bowl. But this is setting up for it to be an Oklahoma A&M type year going into 2021 as the two top teams in the country. I'm going to say that's tough, man. I'm going gonna, I'm
0: gonna to say false. And it's easy for us to pick a quarterback. So they already have a leg up, be- Spencer Rattler specifically, because of the position that he plays over Ramondre mm-hmm. Stevenson,
1: over an Isaiah Spiller. But you got to understand what drives the hype machine. Because the Oklahoma media and the beat writers, you and I, will, whooped out Spencer Rattler. But Spencer Rattler also has J coming off of a beast game if he returns. But the entire southeastern part of the United States is going to jump on the Calamon train. I don't think they will. I think they will. I, I don't think he's Texas a
0: is well-liked as, as he, much as you believe them to be.
1: He's the SEC. It's, it's not about individuals. It's not about schools. It's about the guy. So Kellen Mon will go in to 2021 as the SEC guy. And so I think he, he, he's going to have a bigger machine behind him. Now we have this conversation in December of next year. I think it's, yeah, odds on favor. It could very well be Spencer Rattler. But as we go into August of next, of, of, I say next year, it's 2021 already. As we go into August, seven months from now, I can't, I just, I don't, me personally, yeah. But across the board, I don't think it's going to be Spencer Rattle.
0: Okay, last one I've got for you here, Matt, is I'm looking in the general direction of Iowa State. Mm -hmm. Brock Purdy, if he returns for yet another season at Iowa State, Brees Hall's just a sophomore, so he cannot declare for the NFL draft. That's looking like a pretty pretty good offensive team and we know that matt campbell consistently puts players on the field and puts them in the position to succeed on defense when we look at what iowa state did this year when we look at what they did in the bowl season gaining only their second loss of the year at the big 12 championship game when the preseason poll comes out the big 12 true or false will have two teams in the top five
1: false they, they won't put Iowa State in the top five. You're talking about the start of the 2021 season? To start the season. Yeah. No, they won't put Iowa State in the top five. They may be top ten, but they won't be top five.
0: You're just, you're just <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't have a response for you. <laughs> you're just staring I, I'm, at me. I'm, I'm kind of shocked. I'm taken aback.
1: I mean, it doesn't, that. it doesn't, yeah, Iowa State doesn't sell. I mean, I'm sorry. You're just, it doesn't need to. No, it does. To start the season, it does because no one's going to tune in for a top five matchup with Iowa State and Iowa, okay, or Iowa State and Missouri Valley State or whoever they're going to play early in the season. Um, it's just not going to sell. Now, if Iowa State continues to win on like they have, let's not forget this is a team that lost to Louisiana to start the season, and they typically have a a stumble. There's the you know the stumble coming out of the gate early in the season. I just don't see any way that they're ranked top five. I just don't. Okay, I mean I have no rebuttal for you. All right then, so that that's it for true or false. I feel like I just kind of just shut you down. You, and you, you did. did. <laughs> okay, let's go. To, we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, some thoughts about um, Ronnie Perkins, some of the other guys, uh, Oklahoma, the Big 12 bowl record. And Richard still owes me an apology uh, for Oklahoma basketball. Okay, so here's what we do know as far as players leaving and players staying. We've gone over some of the guys who are leaving. Uh, you know, Chandler Morris was the one guy that Lincoln Riley really said was a little bit of a surprise to them. Kind of caught him off guard. Chandler Moores has landed at TCU, which is going to be fun to watch because he's a talented guy. I mean, TCU got a talented quarterback. And you look at Tanner Mordecai and SMU. Oklahoma has sent two quarterbacks to the Dallas Metroplex now for the 2021 season. Marquise Hayes is has announced that he's coming back. But the two big names you're waiting on now, if you're an Oklahoma fan, is you're waiting to hear what Ronnie Perkins is going to do and what Ramondre Stevenson is going to do. I have no idea on Ramondre Stevenson, no idea whatsoever, but I do know, um, well, let me say this Perry and Winfrey is coming back. Right. So that's,
0: yeah. What he's saying, the, the verbiage he uses yes. leads me to believe that he's coming
1: back. Yeah. Creed Humphrey did the same thing. Yeah, well, no, not necessarily. Because Perry and Winfrey said, I'm, I'm trying to find his, he it was hashtag year four loading, meaning my fourth year of college football, right? Right. Creed Humphrey never said anything along those lines. No, Creed, he just said we. Yeah. We, well we he, this, we that. And he talked about the temptation of coming back to win a national championship. But I'm pretty confident Perry and Winfrey is coming back. So here, here's the thing that you got to look at. Now, granted, Ronnie Perkins is retweeting everything, okay? So Ronnie Perkins retweets Trey Norwood uh, leaving. He he retweets Adrian Ailey leaving. He retweets Marquise Hayes staying. He retweets whatever cryptic message Perry and Winfrey put out there. I believe it to mean he's coming back for a fourth year of college football. But the one thing that you've got to take notice when you look at Ronnie Perkins— Go to Ronnie Perkins on Twitter. All right? It says OU22 on it. I don't know that anybody's ever picked up on that. I don't know how long it's been there. I don't know if it's been there the whole time he's been at OU or if it just happened. But it clearly says OU22 on it, meaning class of 22. So if you're looking for something to hold on to, you know, some glimmer of hope that Ronnie Perkins might forego a top one or two round draft grade, which is what he got from the NFL. His bio right now says, oh, you class of 22. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. I I still think I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him announce by the time you listen to this podcast that he's going, he's going to the NFL. Um, Big 12, only a five and oh in the bowl games. So wait, 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 oh, what you're saying is,
0: we we don't know anything.
1: We don't. But I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just trying to find you. I, I think I think Perrin Winfrey is a little more clear. Again, hashtag year mm-hmm. four loading, meaning getting ready for the fourth year of college football. I don't know when when Ronnie Perkins put that in his bio on Twitter. Right. I don't know if he snuck yeah, that. Yeah, it could have been day one. Right. I don't know if he has snuck. Because honestly, I don't look at guys. Could bios. have been
0: signing day.
1: Right. I don't look at guys bios. And so, um,
0: when, when I say signing day, I mean, his, when his, his, yeah, his, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I, but if you're looking for something, if you're looking for some glimmer of hope, there it is. Take it for what it's worth. <laughs> it could be worth nothing, but maybe if he says uh, he's coming back, you oh yeah, that Matt Hofeld guy on the Nation podcast, he, he said something about Ronnie Perkins bio. Um, big 12 goes undefeated in the bowl games. Um, what, what do you think? T- OU Florida clearly has to be the best bowl win for, for the Big 12. Are we just biased by saying that? I, I don't think so, and largely
0: because it's it was the biggest game for the Big 12. The second one would have been Iowa State and Oregon for me because you're looking at a conference runner-up versus a conference champion, and you're looking at how Iowa State steamrolled Oregon,
1: if we're being honest. Mm-hmm. and It's almost like they were the third best team in the Pac-12. <laughs> right, because They're... you know that's what they were. They they didn't qualify, but because Washington had COVID, they got to go to the Pac-12 championship mm-hmm. and and win. But what did I say about the Pac-12? you remember when I, we were talking about this? I don't. I I said that Texas was going to roll Colorado. I said I wish they was going to roll Oregon because the Pac-12 is garbage, man. It is a terrible conference. Well, the one the, I
0: don't know if this was the best game for the big 12, but Oklahoma state and Miami yes, was entertaining.
1: That's because I picked Oklahoma state to lose that game and they almost did. They almost gave it they away. Almost they did. they, they almost did. They dominated early 21, nothing I think after the end of the mm-hmm. first quarter. And then they held on to win by a field goal, but that's a good win for the big 12. Number one, because you're a lower ranked team beating a higher ranked team. But number two, just because of, we talk about the, the, the name, the value of the mm-hmm. name and that brand. And when, when you're comparing brands for example, Texas, bigger brand than Colorado, right? Yeah, much. Uh, but when you're talking about Oklahoma State and Miami, Miami's the bigger brand. Right. Iowa State and Oregon, Oregon's the bigger brand. Oklahoma, Florida, you're, you're pretty much on, on equal, equal water there. West Virginia, nationally, probably a bigger brand than Army in terms of playing football. But the two games I was worried about was West Virginia Army and Oklahoma State, Miami, I was more surprised that Oklahoma State beat Miami than I was that West Virginia beat Army.
0: Not me. It's the reverse. And if you'll remember, Matt, as we were looking at the Big 12 Bowl season, for lack of a better term, I had mentioned to you that I was slowly being swung in favor of Oklahoma State, whereas initially I thought that would be a game that Miami would win. I thought West Virginia had no hopes. Mm -hmm. of competing in that game. We know the typical service Academy offense, it's control the clock dominant, and it very rarely allows you to come back into a game. That's the exact situation that West Virginia found themselves in. Right. I mean, if you're looking at that game, they, they were trailing. I don't know if it was 14 to 10 or if it was 14 to three. And then all of a sudden what we see is West Virginia rattle off these points with Austin Kendall, they're the latter half of the game, and it's a come-from-behind win. I would not have expected that one bit, given what we've seen from West Virginia, given what we've said in that Daigie is the quarterback at West Virginia, and then seeing what happens in Austin Kendall stepping in as that backup.
1: Well, you, you've you got to be happy for Austin Kendall, right? I mean, you can't not be happy for him. Um, but, yeah, I I mean, I just really expected – I expected Oklahoma State to struggle with their offensive line, and they did. Right. I just I thought that was a, a worse matchup. But again, I got no I I I I, I towed the Big Twelve line in bowl season. Not gonna lie, I was kind of cheering for Colorado against Texas. But I tell I towed the Big Twelve line in bowl season, and so I'm happy to see the Big Twelve go five and zero. And and it, honestly, I, I truly believe it would have been six and zero had TCU and Arkansas not been canceled. I don't think Arkansas is beating TCU. All right, let's finish up with some uh, basketball talk. Oklahoma with a 75 to 71 win over number nine West Virginia. The Sooners improved to two and one in the Big 12, six and two overall on the season. Now it doesn't get easier for Oklahoma as number two Baylor is next on the list, and then they got to go play Kansas. Not for sure yet while we're recording this, where Kansas is going to drop to. They were number three going into the weekend, but they just got shellacked in Lawrence, Kansas, by the Texas Longhorns. So, Kansas is going to drop, but still, I don't see any way they drop below number 15, meaning Oklahoma is going to continue its course to play four consecutive top 15 teams in a row. Oklahoma with the, the four-point victory over West Virginia on Saturday. Here, here's where I'm just going to shoot you straight, Rich. You and I had a really healthy conversation a couple weeks ago about Mo Gibson, in which I said Oklahoma has found a new score off the bench and you, you took issue with that. Eight three-point shots from O Gibson off the bench. 29 points for the game. Not just a team high, but a game high to spark OU's win over number nine, West Virginia. I'm waiting, sir, for your apology.
0: Well, I tried to call earlier, <laughs> but you weren't available.
1: <laughs> I got your receptionist.
0: I will make this statement um, not necessarily an apology, But I will make this statement because if you'll recall that conversation, I said the only thing holding me back from giving him the label as a legitimate scoring option was consistency. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we saw inklings of it, but then he disappeared for a couple of games. Now it's back, and it's back full force. I think Mo Gibson is a guy who's playing with a high level of confidence, who obviously is spreading the floor for Oklahoma. He even went on after that game to say, you know what, I, I'm used to being the smallest player on the floor, but it doesn't affect his game clearly, obviously with a 29 point performance against the top 10 program and a program in the big 12. Number one, the big 12 has a lot of talent in this league spread out throughout oh, the sure, conference. for yeah. sure, And so when you look at what Oklahoma is capable of doing, getting that win I thought was unlikely for Oklahoma. I didn't think it was impossible, but I did think it was unlikely. And it's because of the physicality, that brand of basketball that Bob Huggins brings to any program that he's been with. Now that staple obviously has been at West Virginia and we've seen just how much havoc they can create on the defensive side of the ball because of that physicality, because of their willingness to press and press consistently. Oklahoma, I know under Lon Kruger has had their fair share ups ups and downs, but we're seeing this team, and again, I think they found their identity at the end of last year, and I think they're beginning to settle in on that once again, and everybody has really identified what their role is, and is comfortable with that role. Mo Gibson, a legitimate scoring threat for Oklahoma. I'm putting that on record. I'm saying it here in front of you. You can go hang your hat on that one. I
1: will will say that's, I will accept that as an apology, even though it's not an apology, but the most confident player on this team is still Austin Reeves. It has to be though. I mean, yeah, it has to be because he's Mo Gibson's the bench guy. Austin Reeves is the starter. I will say this about Gibson in three of his last five games. He's scored in double digit figures, obviously capped by the 29 points against West Virginia. Um, the two games he didn't score in double figures were against Houston Baptist. That's an Oklahoma blowout and Florida A&M an Oklahoma blowout. Uh, he didn't get into double figures in those two games, but also he was limited in minutes in those two games. So I, I'm OK with with where he is. One, one thing to close out on, uh, you know, 2020 recruiting is is close to being done. I still think they OU is going after some guys, but Ruben Owens, the number one recruit in Texas uh, for 2023 has released his top five and it's LSU, Oklahoma, Georgia, Texas AM, and Texas. So the recruiting cycle just, just never ends. That's going to wrap it up for us on this episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate you guys. You can find us online at heartland-sports.com. You can find us on on Twitter. I can't say it. You can find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland, and you can find the podcast anywhere podcasts are available. Have a great week, everybody. Boomer Sooner.